I pray that we would take it to heart, that today, in whatever way, whatever next step we need to take in following you, Lord, that that decision would be made today. Thank you for what you're going to do in the midst of us here. Thank you for your God-sized hand upon our ministry. Lord, we look forward to what next week entails, a dedication Sunday, and seeing your new chapter and steps that we're taking here at First Baptist. But Lord, today, be it a small step, be it a baby step, be it a ginormous step that we take, may we take it in great faith to know as we take our next step, Lord, we are following you and how you are choosing to lead us. We love you. We keep our eyes focused upon you now. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, why don't you slap a high five to someone on your way down and then have a seat. All right. Good to have you here. Hey, let me just reiterate what Pastor Scott said. Next week is going to be a fantastic, fantastic week. It's one of those weeks that we've been talking about. We are going to tell our kids, our grandkids, our great-caring kids about that day when we first were able to go together uh, over to worship at the community center. So we're going to be there next week and the following week because the following week will be his little feet are coming. Um, Then we'll be back here for a few weeks, and then we're over there on Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday this year is on April 1st. (laughs) April Fool's Day, huh? There's a message in there somewhere, I think. Um, But uh, it is great to have you here today. If you have an outline, pull that out. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 9. If you're not real comfortable with the Bible or know kind of where John is, you have Bibles in the seats underneath upstairs, you have them, well, pull that out. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. You can find it right in there. Um, As you are pulling out, let me kind of reintroduce the series to you. It's called You Do You where we have been looking at how we share our hope in Jesus in a natural way, in a way that God has created us and gifted us to share our faith. Uh, You know, being an introvert, you might share that differently than if you are more of an extrovert. Uh, If you're very talkative, you might share that a little differently than if you're more service and doing action-oriented. And so, you do you is kind of me saying, do how God has made you. Do how God has created you. And so we've been talking about these six different styles of evangelism that have been seen in the scriptures, uh, be it an interpersonal style by Matthew in Mark chapter 2, where he builds relationships with people. Maybe it's an invitational story, as in the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, where she invites the village people to come and see Jesus. Uh, Maybe it's more of an intellectual approach, like in Acts chapter 17 in the Paul. If you were here last week... You would have heard Mark Spence. He did a wonderful job of sharing um, last Sunday night. He also did, I thought, even a better job of getting deeper into the problem of evil and how can we use that to talk about is God in the midst of that? Is God, uh, is there a God, number one? And then number two, why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? And if you weren't here last week, go to our website. Both those talks are on the website and uh, you can find some materials to go along with that as well. 
well. Today we're talking about the blind man out of John chapter 9 who had a testimony sharing his story. And then over the next few weeks after we're at the community center, um, service oriented and then a confrontational approach much like Peter does. Um, so all of them are different. In fact, there's no wrong way of sharing. What I have said though is that the only wrong way of doing it is not to do it. We are all called to do it, so to not to do it, that would be the only mistake we could make. But share in the way that God made you. Share in the way that is very comfortable to you, and that message will come forth. So it's a message really about being faithful, not necessarily about being fruitful, because we might not see the fruit of how we share and when we share, but we need to be faithful in doing that. In fact, one of our church members stopped me a couple weeks ago and said, Pastor Brad, this series has been so freeing for me. Because I didn't know that I didn't have to share like Billy Graham. This last week, we saw the news that Billy Graham went home to be with the Lord. Man, what a party was up there in heaven on that day, right? And yet you think about it, he did it the way God made him. He shared in front of hundreds of thousands of people on a regular basis. But if that is not how God created you, don't try and be a Billy Graham. And if you do you, the same kind of party is going to be up in heaven when you pass away as well. There will be a welcoming team of people who will be there to say, wow, thank you for sharing the hope that you had in Jesus with me. Because Billy Graham can't reach the people you reach. You have people in your lives that when you share in the way that God has made you and created you, will be touched in that type of way. And so the church member just said, thank you for, for freeing us to do it in a way that feels comfortable to us. Um, she said, I've been in church all my life. I've never heard a series like that, and I've never heard that freedom to be able to say, just do it in the way that God has gifted you and made you. So today, let's talk about the blind man in John chapter 9. John chapter 9 is an interesting chapter because in it, Jesus has just been, in a sense, kicked out of the temple. He was going to be stoned, and so Jesus kind of slips through the crowd, and then John turns the page and says in John chapter 9, as he passed by out of the temple to the people, he said he saw a blind man from birth. It says, disciples asked him, Rabbi, and so the disciples were kind of in this maybe more academic mode at this moment, okay? They, they, they kind of wanted to think a little deeper. They said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, it only gives Jesus two answers. Yeah. You don't ask a question of Jesus and then give him the answers, right? Give him the choices. Because neither one works. Jesus says this in, chapter, in verse 3. He said, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God has way bigger plans for your life than you can even imagine. God has way bigger plans for my life than what I perceive is going on behind the scenes. And, and whatever God wants to do, 
I need to get in line with that, whether it's something I agree with or not. This last week, I called up and talked to Vivian Cotton. Vivian is the Bible study fellowship leader here on Thursday mornings. Is a wonderful, wonderful sister in the Lord. Shares the word here every Thursday morning, teaching BSF ladies. But she has not been able to teach in the last few months. And I called her up because she's had cancer. And she's getting treatment for that cancer. And it's kept her from being able to come here and to serve in the way that she loves to serve. And, and I was just so blessed by her words because she said, Pastor Brad, I, I never questioned God why. Yes, you know, kind of like why now and why in this way is this happening. But, but I don't question God's why. She said, I know God's going to receive glory in the midst of this. Don't maybe know how, but I know that he will. Now, why would she take that kind of an attitude? Because she knows Scripture. And she knows that if God's involved in it, God's going to work it out for the good. We don't always understand it. We don't always understand the rationale behind it. But God is going to receive the glory in the midst of whatever we are going through. Amen? Amen. And the sooner we come to that knowledge, the sooner we come to that revelation, the more at peace we can be with life. So Jesus says that. It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed. Verse 4. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for night is coming, when no one can work. Interesting, he says, we. He doesn't just say, I have to do this. He's saying, hey, disciples, we have to do this. Because then he goes on to say in verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, almost implying I'm not always going to be here in the world, and when I am not here, you are going to have to carry that light. He has already told them in Matthew chapter 5 that they're the light of the world. They need to know that. He says, as long as I'm here, yes, people will look to me and I am that light, but when I'm gone, you better be ready. Study up, disciples. You be ready on this. And then he goes on, he says in verse 6, Scripture says, having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back, what? Came back seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but it's like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. I'm the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man, who call, uh, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. He's like, I'm still getting used to these things. I'm still using them. You guys should know. Why don't you keep an eye on them, on him? I don't know. What's interesting about this is when Jesus is interacting with the people, the people are just looking for different answers than Jesus wants to give them. And they're wondering, you know, who sinned, who did not sin. Then the townspeople, instead of celebrating and rejoicing with the man who now sees, they're questioning this. They're saying, is it really him? It might not even be him. What's going on here? In fact, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever worn glasses or contacts at some time in your life? Okay, 
A lot of us have, right? The first time I realized I needed glasses was when I was in the eighth grade. And I was sitting in the back of the room, and the teacher called on me for something and wanted me to read something off the board. And I had to look, and I had to say, uh, I can't read that. And so she moved me up to the front, and a few days later, again, I was called on for something, and I looked at the board, and she said, can you read that? And I said, I can't read that either. And so I had to go and get glasses, and yet, being an eighth grader, a little subconscious about wearing glasses, I, I got contacts. And so I went with my mom, and I was fitted. I still remember going to the store, fitted with contacts, walking back out into the mallway and seeing things that I had never seen before, or at least forgetting that I had seen. I remember some people walking by and almost laughing at me because they saw the look of expression on my face, like, wow, I can see that. The next time I had kind of a sight revelation like that was when I had LASIK surgery. It was in my late 20s. And uh, I went and had this surgery done. It was an amazing surgery. I didn't have to wear contacts or glasses for 15 years. And um, uh, I remember going. We traveled. It was out of town. And we had to stay overnight. They performed the operation. My wife was with me at the time as well. And I had to wear these goggles at night. And then in the morning time, she took them off me. And I remember going over and opening up the windows. And I could see across the way. And it was like, Wow. I didn't know what I couldn't see. And that's an interesting observation for all of us. Not only with our physical sight, but with our spiritual sight. Often we don't know what we can't see until we can see it. I had a gentleman come up after the 8 o'clock service and said he had cataract surgery this last week. He didn't know there were blooms on the trees going on outside. He said, I didn't realize I couldn't see that until I could see that. And isn't that what oftentimes is going on in our generation? We're in a generation of people who are blinded to God. And the main reason for that is because they haven't used God's word to see the world around them. They haven't used God's word to be able to shed light onto whatever situation they are going through. This is a light giver. It, it opens our eyes to what's going on around us. In fact, it reminds me of the story about the man who's lost a contact, and he was looking for the contact, and so he had a friend come up as the guy was on his hands and knees looking for his contact, and the friend comes up and starts to look with him as well. Neither one can find it. Pretty soon another friend comes over and begins to look as well, and there's three of them now doing this. A fourth one comes in, starts to look, and then says, hey, um, where did you lose this contact? And the guy said, I lost it over there. He said, then why are you searching here? And he said, because the light's better over here. In some strange way, that makes sense, doesn't it? Right? Yeah, you're never going to find it because you couldn't find it in the dark, so you might as well look in the light, but you're never going to find it because it's over there and not here. When you try and walk through life without understanding how God works and how God made you and how he shaped you and, and, and with the things that happen to us, how we're supposed to deal with those things, it'll drive you crazy. It'll put you into another place. But when you come to a place of saying, okay, God, I understand more now about how you work and how you operate. And even in the moments and the times and the situations that I don't get it, I still know you're sovereign and I still know you're God. Even when I can't see as you see. Because honestly, the only thing worse than someone who can't see is someone who thinks they can see but really can't. Right? And into the story walks the Pharisees. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Okay? And you can see what happens there. And let me just kind of go over 
Um, verses 13 through 34, because really the Pharisees have great sight. They just have no insight into anything. And so the Pharisees come along and they say, hey, hey, blind man. Well, I guess you're not a blind man anymore. You're a sight man, but sight man, hey, he put mud on your eyes when you were a blind man. Why, why is he doing that? I said, I don't know. He just did, and it worked. They said, that's work. That's work. And it was on the Sabbath day, and it says in verse 16 that then they say, well, this guy could not be from God because he worked on the Sabbath day. That's their first little questioning of Jesus that they do. Their second one was that they come along and they say, we're not even sure you are the blind man. I mean, look, you see now, how did this come about? And so they walk over to his parents, and they corner his parents, and they say, is this your son? They're like, oh, yeah. Well, how could he see like this? It's not really your son. And they're trying to corner them into claiming that Jesus is a sinner because what has happened is rumors gotten around that Jesus is claiming to be the son of God, and anybody who acknowledges that's going to get kicked out of the temple. Anybody who does not say that he's really a sinner would be kicked out. And so the parents turn, they flip the tables, and they say, well, you know what? Uh, he's of age. Why don't you go ask him? And so they go to him a second time, and they come alongside, and they say, call this man a sinner who did this to you. And here's what he says in verse 25. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, what does it say there, First Baptist? Now I see. Once I was blind, but now I see. That's his testimony. That's his story. Notice, he doesn't get into a theological dialogue or debate with the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees would have just one-upped him on all that. He doesn't want to enter that. Paul would have entered into that dialogue because he was a Pharisee at one time. And then he became a Christ follower. So he could dialogue in that type of way. God gifted him in that way. He could do that. Mark Spence, who was here with us last week, Sunday morning and Sunday night, he could do that. There are some of you here in this room who you could enter into those debates and dialogue with people. That's the way you're gifted. The blind man knew he was not gifted that way. That's not a you-do-you type of philosophy. And so the blind man said, you know what? I can't answer all those questions for you. Here's what I can't answer. I was blind, and now I see. See, people can't refute that in your life. For you to get to say, yeah, I, I had done some bad things in life. Yeah, some bad things have happened to me. But God changed that. God redeemed that. God made me a new person. And here's how. That's a powerful story. And that's a story that people cannot argue with in your life. In fact, it's the reason now that we have many, many people who are in uh, our class right now with Pastor Derek, Your Story, God's Story. They came out of the 8 o'clock service. They're over there learning about how they can share their story. It's the reason that I hope dozens and dozens of you will also go to the chapel right after the service and learn, how can I share my story? How can I share it in a quick and a powerful way if I just can share it in a couple minutes? And then as I dialogue more, I'll share it further. But it comes into a place of saying, how can I share my life before Christ, how I came to know Christ, and what my life has been like since? 
We don't want you to leave these grounds without being armed and equipped with knowing how to do that. And so right after the service, I hope you'll slip right over there, just about an hour or so, and Pastor Derek will take you through that class. Powerful, powerful story that you have. And if you are a Christian, you have a story. It's God intersecting your life, and you need to know how to communicate that. Well, returning back to the story. After the blind man who is now a sight man is, is thrown out of the Pharisees' quarters, Jesus finds him, and they have a private discussion. And the Pharisees overhear it. Look at what it says. Jump to the end of the story in John nine thirty five. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of of God? He answered, And who is it, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have, what's the words there? You have what? You have now seen him. And he is the one speaking to you. Jesus always makes it personal. When we see a huge miracle taking place, oftentimes the next part of the story will kind of revert down to Jesus making things personal. Feeding the thousands, but now working with an individual. The woman at the well, we talked about her a couple weeks ago. Jesus is dialoguing, they're talking small talk, they're talking big talk, they're talking other things, but all of a sudden Jesus brings it down to, now, who is this Messiah you've been talking about? It's me. And the same thing happens here with the blind man. Jesus starts to go for the question that, yeah, you've been dealing with the Pharisees. Yeah, you know what, word has gotten around, but now one-on-one, let's talk about this. Jesus said, you have seen him. He's speaking to you. And so the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And then Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. In other words, since you don't know you can't see, yes, you are blind. Sometimes we don't know what we can't see until we can see. And that's a spirit in us that needs to be open to what God wants to do. In fact, on the back page of your outline, turn it over real quick, and I want to show you a kind of a progression that the blind men went through to understand who Jesus was. And maybe you are here today. Maybe you are on a steps towards Jesus kind of progression that you don't even know about yet. But watch this. In verse 11... The blind man says, the man called Jesus. So he knows he's a man by the name of Jesus. Doesn't say anything further about him. Look at verse 17. So so they said to him again, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And at this point, the blind man says, "He's he's a prophet. Not the son of God. Maybe not from God, but, but maybe sent by God. And then the next one there in verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So, oh boy, he's doing this. He's doing it on the authority of God. I believe he is sent by God. He's from God. And then watch in verse 38, which we just read. He says, Lord, I what? I believe. 
and he worshiped him. Didn't all happen at once. Now, sometimes it can, but most often, God uses people and events and time to reveal himself to us, and we just need to be open and faithful in knowing that God, in his timing, will bring us to the right place. You know, we've been sharing about testimonies here, and some of you, I hope, will go over to the room right be, uh, to the side uh, to hear about how to further share your testimony. I'm going to invite Jen Nakaagwa to come on up. Uh, did I get that name right? No, Nakagawa. I got it. I got it right, okay? Uh, as she joked with me the other day, it's got five A's in it, and so if you're on um, uh, Wheel of Fortune, you want to buy a vowel, right? Okay. <laughs> Nakagawa. Jen has um, been attending here at First Baptist for about a year. Um, here, I'll let you use that microphone right there. And um, God has done um, something miraculous in her life over the course of her years that uh, started way back when she was born and a tough situation that you were born into, tough upbringing. Um, but why don't you share a little bit about what your life was like before coming to find Jesus, and then we'll get to the exciting part after that. But um, share with us. Okay, so um, I was born to a 16-year-old mom and a 15-year-old dad who, at that age, already had issues with drugs. Um, my biological father physically abused my mom. Three months after I was born, my mom gave birth to my sister and gave her to a paternal aunt to raise. I stayed with my mom and my biological dad for the first two years, and it was ugly. Um, it led to my mom's parents, my grandparents, giving my mom an ultimatum and saying, um, either you leave him and we will help you raise, raise Jenny, or we're taking Jenny. And so my grandparents took me, my mom stayed with him. Um, and life with my grandparents was great, but it was very rough when they got me. I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown from the trauma that I had seen. Um, my mom did eventually leave my biological dad and she met my stepdad, they got married. And I spent summers and vacations with them while I lived with my grandparents. And then when I was 12, my grandparents decided it was a good time for me to come to Stockton and live with my mom and my dad so I could have a relationship with my siblings. So this was rough for me because I had a big secret. And I have my earliest memory of being molested by my stepdad at the age of five. I never told anybody except my sister who was also being molested, um, but by someone else in another home. Um, I had a tendency to write my feelings out on paper and destroying the paper just so I could get things off of my chest. And one day I lost a page, and I thought I lost it out in the world somewhere, but my mom found it and confronted me, and I denied it at first, but then came out and told her the truth, and she asked me to go down the street to a friend's house where she would send for me after she spoke with my dad. Three days went by, and my mom did not come to get me, so I went home to see if maybe she came and we weren't there, only to find that my mom was disgusted with me, blamed me, and wanted nothing to do with me, asked me to get out of her face. So I went to my room, and later my mom came in and told me that we were going to settle this on our own. She was not going to leave him. Um, we weren't going to tell the authorities or anybody for that matter. She knew about it, so it wasn't going to happen anymore. We were going to move on and be fine. So you have to know at this point that my mom is still doing drugs. My stepdad is also a dealer. Um, and so I eventually came out and told a friend 
because I had to, and we went and told the counselor, which led to um, being led to the police station where they had my brothers, and they arrested my dad and sent us home with my mom. My mom asked me to recant, and I tried, but they didn't believe me. Um, My dad goes to jail. My mom is now partying and doing more drugs than ever. And when I was 16, she finally kicked me out of the house, and I bounced around. At the age of 18, I barely graduated high school and found myself pregnant, um, living with my boyfriend. And we then got married when I was 20. We were divorced by the time I was 23. There were infidelities in the marriage. At this point in my life, I am now drinking a lot and partying a lot. And though I stayed away from drugs because of my mom, um, I was making some really poor decisions. I did end up having a friend who became more than a friend, and he moved in with me. And I told him, you and I can be together, but on my terms, I will never marry you. I will not have a child with you, and my job will always come before you. Which was working at Starbucks. Is working that right? Working at Starbucks, and, yes. And you were hoping to be a, a district manager. I mean, you were really like climbing up hard. the, the, the mm-hmm. scale. It was over in Livermore, and yes. you told me, I think, the second most... Uh, second busiest store in California. And so running. you were on that track. I was on that track. I was and, working there. And yet God intersected. <laughs> Thank God what he intersected. Place. So... Um, I'm at work on a Saturday, and a customer comes in, and I ask him how he's doing, and he said he's good, and I said, what are you doing today? And he's kind of caught off guard and said, do you really want to know, or are you just asking to ask? And I'm like, well, now you have to tell me. So he said, I have a friend who's going through some stuff, and a group of us are going to go pray for him. So I kind of laugh. <laughs> I'm snarky. Remember, I don't know Jesus. <laughs> and I say, so um, what's your name? And he says, Jimmy. I'm, Jimmy, can you come back and tell me how that works out for you? I don't really expect Jimmy's going to come back. But two weeks later, Jimmy shows up with his wife in my store, and I sit down with him. I'm like, great, now I have to listen to this story. (laughs) And they say, and I ask him, so how did it go? And he's like, actually, it was fine. We we didn't really want to talk about that. We kind of wanted to talk about you. I mean, talk about me. And so I told Holly all about you after we met, and we've been praying for you, and we just wanted to share with you some of the things that the Lord has laid on our heart. And I'm kind of like, okay. They revealed every fear that was happening in my life at that point, and to the point that I was in tears and the hair on my arms was standing up straight. But I still wasn't quite sure about this whole Jesus thing. And they had invited me to their house in a couple of weeks. They were going to have some friends over. And I'm already thinking of how I can get out of it. I have to be up early. It's my brother's birthday. I'm not going to go. The night before, I have a dream and I see Jesus. And it's not weird. I just see him and feel this calming peace come over me. So when I wake up in the morning, I say, I'm going. So I do go, and I sit there. And as they're talking about Jesus, they're talking about how we complicate things as humans. We make it all about us when really it's all about him. And it makes sense to me. So we stand up to pray, and I'm at the end of a couch. There's nobody next to me, and my head's down, and we're praying. And I feel this overwhelming warmth. And this peace that is so strong, I open my eyes to see who came to give me a hug, but there is nobody there. Mm. So I go over to Jimmy and Holly at the end, and I ask them, how do you know what to pray for? There's so much to pray for. And they said, well, how about receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior? And I said, I've never wanted anything more than that in this moment right now. Mm -hmm. So they prayed with me. I received Jesus into my heart on Saturday, September 16th of 2007. 
and was completely changed. I cannot explain to you the feeling of losing that guilt and the shame and everything that had been sitting on my shoulders for all of those years. So we kind of fast forward seven months. I marry that man who I said I would never marry. 2010, um, I find out that I'm pregnant at the beginning of the year. And this truly is a gift because we were not trying. We were preventing, actually. And (laughs) I find out that I'm pregnant. Shortly after that, I also find out that both my grandparents are ill with cancer, and I will be losing them that year. I also am still climbing that ladder because when I accepted Jesus, I accepted him as my savior, but didn't fully understand him as my Lord and master. And so I was like, this is going to be on my terms and Mm -hmm. I'll fit you in whenever I can. So God's timing is perfect and he didn't take that very well, right? So the day of my interview to become the district manager I'd been working so hard to be, I get the phone call that we are going to pull the life support on my grandfather. So I don't go to the interview, I go to the hospital and I witness my grandfather taking his last breath. A month later, I have a beautiful little boy, and then on Christmas Eve, I lose my grandma, and then two weeks after that, I lose my uncle, but I have to tell you the gift that God was for me that year because I couldn't have got through it without him, and in all of that, I see this little life that he gives to me during all this loss, and I realized that I couldn't have been there to witness all of them take their last breath had I have not been on maternity leave. Mm -hmm. So I was able to grieve and spend time with my child and go through all of that as a gift from God. I learned Proverbs 16, 9, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his step. And I decided that I was not going to return back to work as a full-time pursuer of becoming a district manager, but I stepped all the way down, gave up my title, gave up my pay, gave up everything to put God first to put my family next and get my priorities straight. Absolutely, absolutely. And you will never... (laughs) As we look to where your life is today, that decision was the greatest decision you could make, not to just have him as a savior with fire insurance, but the Lord of your life. Because I think you told me when we were talking in my office that after you received the Lord... Your face was different. Your family wondered what had gone on with you. My mom specifically asked me, she said, what is different about you? Mm -hmm. And I actually went to take a shower, and I remember watching the water circle the drain and just thinking to myself, look at all that sin just washing away. You can't make this stuff up. How do you know that unless Jesus is real and has come into your life? You just can't. Yeah, Yeah. and so today, today, you are a different person. I am a different person. Tell us... Where you're headed, your life purpose, and and what God has done with you today. So, um, 2015, Halloween, I get a phone call that my little sister has been shot in the face by her heroin addict boyfriend. Um, And she's at UC Davis. So I go there, and my sister miraculously survives this. However, we lose her in January to a drug overdose. So once again... I am there. They revived her, but I was there to watch them pull the plug and see her take her last breath. Um, So what now? What do you do with all this loss and all this stuff that's going on? And I'm still working at Starbucks, but not really sure what God wants to do with me in my life. 
So Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, I'm trusting in the Lord with all my heart, leaning not on my own understanding and acknowledging him so that he can make my path straight. And in this, as I'm planning my sister's funeral, I get this desire in my heart that I want to do something with at-risk youth, um, especially females who have been through so much similar to what I and my sister have gone through. Um, I became a CASA, a court-appointed special advocate. I have the privilege of um, advocating for a young foster youth, um, and it's amazing. I've also gone back to school, and I'm working towards a degree so that I can hopefully someday start a ministry (laughs) that God has placed in my heart, but I still don't know what that looks like. Um, But the big point to all of this is that none of this is about me. It's all 100% about him and what he has done in my life. There is nothing that you have done or that has been done to you that the blood of Christ cannot redeem. And I am proof of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, Romans 8 to 8 has kind of been a life verse of mine, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. You have been called. You have been created for him, for his purpose. There's nothing in your past that defines you. It's Christ in you that defines who you are. Let's say thank you. Jen, Jen, thank you so much. know you might hear a story like that and think I haven't been through all that or I don't have that radical testimony you have your testimony you do you I like to say you know my story is so different from Jen's story but for Jen and for myself both of us are still in need of a savior that's what the defining factor is because I have sinned I've had sin happen to me you have sinned sin has happened to you we're all in need of a savior And so to come to that realization in your life, to say, God, just use my story to change someone else's life. You know, I think about Jimmy and Holly. I don't know who they are, but they just walked in that day. That was a style of evangelism that they did. Engaged in some conversation. Came back a couple weeks later and said, we want to further our discussion with you. We've been praying for you. Jen's life has been changed because someone took the step. They did them. You do you. That was comfortable to them, to take that step of sharing their faith with her in that way. And now it's brought her to be able to share her faith in a testimony style with all of us as well. You have a story. You have a powerful story. God has worked in your life. Maybe, though, today you'd say, you know what? God hasn't touched me yet. I'm not sure who this Jesus is. I just came here because someone else invited me to come. Well, you are in the right place. Because, as Jen said... Nothing that has happened to you or nothing that you have done cannot be redeemed by Jesus. And the reason we know that is because Jesus went to the cross to die for you, to die for me. He did that because blood sacrifice had to be shed. That was the payment that makes us and allows us to be in a right relationship with God. 
And only by knowing that and understanding that and believing that Jesus is God's son can we have that relationship after we've invited him into our hearts. And how that first came about was when Jesus went into an upper room with his disciples and he was explaining to them what was going to take place, how he was going to die on the cross. And so he gathered in an upper room with those disciples, and it says in Luke chapter 22 that he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after he had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood, a new covenant that no longer do you have to sacrifice animals to make appeasement with God, but I will become that sacrifice for you. And so that's what we celebrate here today as we've come to a time where we remember what Jesus did, what's called communion or the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper. And it's for any of you who have said in your life, yes, I believe that Jesus is God's son. So you don't need to be a member here at First Baptist. You just need to be a member of the family. And maybe today that intrigues you, much like it did Jen, to have some people share with her that they were praying for her and meeting at a house. And Maybe it intrigues you to say, what and who is this Jesus? Well, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Not just a Savior, but Lord as well, knowing that He wants to come into your life, knowing that He wants to help you take steps in your life that are better for you. You might have your own plan, but He's got a better one for you. As long as you're running it your own way, He'll let you, but it won't go the way that God will be able to work and to change lives. Jen, thank you so much for being a willing servant used by God. Someone who has said, God, use my story, use my life. And I hope today, if you've come in here and you do not know this one named Jesus, that today could be your day to say yes to him. If you are a believer in Christ, praise God. Take some time when we pray here in just a moment to come to the altar, come to this communion time without a conscience that is guilt-ridden, maybe it's forgiveness of someone, maybe you've been a little uh, biting of someone, backtalk, whatever it may be, come to a place of saying, Lord, thank you for the forgiveness that you offer to me. For the rest of us, let's take a moment and let's pray, and let's see how God wants to work in your life. Let's pray. God, we praise you and thank you for an opportunity that we now have to remember what you did for us on the cross to remember what it means to be one that would sit around a table and hear you say the words, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Lord, even though the disciples didn't understand fully what that meant, they looked back on it after you went to that cross and they put it all together that, yes, this is remembering what Jesus did for us. So, folks, again, if you have already come to that realization, then just use this time to introspect your life, ask and seek forgiveness, to see how God wants to speak to you of how you can better follow him. And then when the cup comes by, take those elements, grab one cup, it's got both elements there, and just contemplate for a while and remember what the sacrifice means. But I know there are dozens of you in here today who, if you're really pressed on the issue, you would say, I haven't made a decision to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm exploring that, or I wasn't even aware of the need to have a Savior. Well, God brought you here today for you to hear that story, to hear the story of a blind man 
who says, I was blind, but now I see because of what Jesus did for me. To hear a story of Jen, who, Lord, she was blind, she didn't even see it. She was climbing a corporate ladder, and the ladder was leaning up against the wrong walls. Lord, I thank you that you changed that, allowed her now to be a woman of God, to be a, a, a wife, a godly wife, a, a godly mom. Lord, we all want to take steps in um, how we can be a better person. But it begins, it begins with understanding your relationship with us and how you so desire that to be our Savior and to be our Master, our Lord. And so today, if you have not made that decision but you're ready to do so, you can just in your own heart begin by saying, yes, Lord Jesus, yes, I have decided to follow you. Today, like the blind man professed, I say those words. I believe, I believe that you are God's son. Today, I choose to acknowledge that I've been a sinner, to make a decision to now not follow my own ways or the ways of the world, but to follow you. And today, Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. You know, if that was your prayer this morning, I'd love for you to come up and talk to me afterwards and let me know that you made that decision. Jen will be here as well. We also have our other pastors who you can talk to. Uh, out in our Welcome Center, we have people at the Next Step Center who have some information for you. We want to help you take that next step. Beyond knowing Him, but now growing in Him and making Him known. And by the way, if you just prayed that prayer, you're now invited to this table. Take Eat and drink with the rest of us who are celebrating what God has done. God, thank you for what it means to be a Christ follower. Thank you for inviting us to this table. Thank you for what it means that you went to that cross to die for us. A new covenant that you set the way so that we in faith and belief may have a right relationship with God the Father. We love you. Thank you for these moments. We cherish them now. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray.